The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. You're listening to The Views Room, brought to you by Breaking Views. I'm Anthony Curry, and with me is my co-host, Jennifer Saber. Hi, Jen. Hello. So this week, we're going to try and work out what happened to giant brewer Anheuser-Busch InBev, or AB InBev, as most people call it. it last week, it pulled its IPO of its Asia-Pacific unit, and that's caused a bit of a ripple, not just within the beer industry, but also beyond in Hong Kong as a financial centre. And to discuss it with us, we have on the phone a drinks expert from London, uh, Dasha Afanasieva, and also joining in the studio on uh, Sudo's uh, Busman's Holiday from Hong Kong is uh, Jeff Goldfarb, the Asia editor. Welcome to you both. Thank you. So let's jump in with the first question. Why did AB InBev pull the IPO of its Asia unit? What, what's the deal here? Um, it seems like it was a, a combination of events. Obviously, there has been um, some concern about Hong Kong and the markets with the, the protests over um, over an extradition law that has really escalated into all sorts of craziness um, in Hong Kong, which has, you know, I think led to um, some fears among investors about yeah. what's exactly what's going on. I don't know how long term it will be. I mean, there's there's an idea that it could be, but I mean, a lot of it probably and most likely had to do with um, pricing, really. Because yeah. we we saw there was a uh, another IPO that we'd written about that was pulled last month, right? ESR came yeah. warehouse operator. Yeah. So that was in the middle of the... Of yeah. The, so that was a private crisis. equity holding um, where, I mean, you know, again, presume another, that one was another business that looked pretty healthy, warehouses, distribution mm. centers, e-commerce, like seemed like a pretty good play. Yeah. And they had to yank that one. This one was similarly, you know, a, a big, strong brand, yeah. profitable, um, you know, should have been a relative slam dunk for them, yeah. but they they just they they had a number I think that uh, that they wanted to get and uh, and they didn't get it really. So Dasha, let's bring you in here as as since you you cover AB and Bev for us a lot of the time. What um what what drove the company first of all? Let's just step back. What drove the company to want to list its unit? As far as I recall, Carlos Brito, the chief executive, is a serial deal maker on the side of buying rather than the selling assets. So. Why was he even thinking about doing this? Well, it's his serial deals habit that really got him into into this position in the first place. Uh, three years ago, AB InBev uh, became even bigger. It's the biggest brewer in the world now. And it became even bigger when it bought SAB Miller in 2016. Um, the, the whole rationale was, you know, we're, we're just going to be in Africa. We're going to be in all these countries. We're going to be massive. Um, but it's left them with... Uh, a debt pile which now uh, is at 102 billion US dollars um, and that's really really very high leverage above four times uh, EBITDA um, and and it's got to pay it back investors are are concerned about how high this leverage is so so part of the reasoning was we'll get you know close to 10 billion dollars and we will um, and we will pay pay down some of our debt but in this time, the other massive problem that's that's hit AB InBev is that growth is slowing in its key markets, particularly America, which is its biggest single market. Fewer and fewer people are drinking beer. You know, people are no longer sort of pounding the Budweiser like they used to. You're right. I think the whole uh, way that uh, people are drinking, I think, I hate using this term, I'm going to use it, millennials don't drink as much beer. Um and I think in, in Asia, am I right in saying, I think I get this from, from one of the pieces that, that um, younger Asians also are not particularly big fans of of, uh, of drinking beer. Either. Well, there's, I mean, look, there's a couple of factors here that are interesting. I mean, one one of which is that, 
you know, it's hard to think about in these terms, but in, in places like China, weirdly enough, Budweiser is a, is a premium beer. <laughs> um, so, um, so they get premium prices and it's, it's what makes the business especially profitable. And I think part of the reason why Carlos Brito thought he was going to get a better price than, than he got, um, of course, they're also in slower growing markets like Australia. Right. Um, so there's that to balance it out. But I mean, your question about the deals, I mean, perversely, actually spinning this business off and taking it public was an effort to do more deals because, um, because as you mentioned, Brito is a, a serial deal maker and he's kind of hit the limits with the parent company because of what Dasha says in the debt. But by, by creating a separate stock for the Asian business, the idea actually was to do more deals in Asia to, to, um, to create sort of a regional champion by um, either buying or tying up somehow with one of the conglomerate tycoon held businesses in Thailand, Vietnam, um, the Philippines, which are great businesses, but those those owners have very little interest in cash, right. but they might be willing to roll their business into a bigger operation. Um, and that's why he needed the separate stock. Right, so he's going to gonna separate that. it. It was going to be basically debt free, lots of chance to go, go after other companies and get into the businesses in areas in the business where if areas where uh, it was faster growth, let's say, rather yeah, than the more mature markets. For sure. Okay. Um, so, but the the problem here seems to be the same issue, which is that we have slowing growth of beer sales, and now they've pulled this IPO, and they still have a heaping amount of debt. So, Dasha, now what's the plan? Well, I just I just don't really think there is is one apart from trying to get people to drink um, more beer. I mean, they're tinkering at the edges and in, in trying to boost, particularly in America, trying to uh, boost what um, you know how much how much non-beer stuff they sell. They bought this canned wine company, but these are really very small amounts. And for such a beer mm-hmm. giant, you just have to stick with have to stick with beer. I guess you know one one thing that a lot of people think think they might do is is to try again in six to twelve months' time, perhaps at a low valuation, perhaps with an anchor investor, perhaps with different banks. Um, but in terms of keeping this like deals binge going that that Carlos Brito is so into that this looked like the only option really I mean they could keep in mind they do have I mean just because they haven't spun off this business they do still have the growth from areas like China and others I mean they still mm-hmm. the business is still theirs it's clearly still at least a 50 to 60 billion dollar business even though they didn't get the price that they wanted um, so they are going to continue to develop those markets, Southeast Asia, others, maybe India. India is a tough market, but it's you know it's also um, potentially higher growth. So than, why cancel it rather than just trying to um, drop the price? Is yeah. it face saving? Is it something else? I mean, if you do it, if you come back another six months, that's money you've got to spend again on roadshows and everything else. So not clear to me. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, some of the reporting. I mean, Dasha may have a better window into it, but some of the reporting has suggested that that Breeder just had a number that he was looking for on it. I don't. It was never clear to me why the number was so important when it's a yeah. huge hulking business um, and he had other motives and intentions in mind. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I'm, I'm curious to hear if Dasha had any insight from London about it. Yeah, well, the the sense that I got from uh, bankers, both sidelined and, and close to it, um, was that it was a classic case of pitching for one number when you're trying to get the deal and then failing in, in trying to talk your client down later, which is is really very, very common, um, I guess. Um, We've seen a lot of it in Asia, for sure. I mean, you know, everything from starting a couple of years ago with um, 
the phone company Xiaomi, which, you know, a number got floated that it was going to be a hundred billion dollar company. And then it went public at 50 and now it's, you know, a $30 billion company. And this is, I mean, this is how, but those companies proceeded, like, despite the fact that they didn't quite get the, the whisper number or whatever. Yeah, you we've seen that it, here but, as well with, with, uh, I mean, okay, not with established businesses like, um, like AB InBev's uh, spinoff they were looking at, but, you know, Uber and Lyft were looking at far higher um, uh, dollar values than the ones they got. I think what well, Uber at one point we thought was going to get 140 billion and got what 80 or so. So it's not unique to there. It's just it's a bit odd, I suppose, that he just they decided between them, the bankers and and, and Carl Sprito, the CEO, to pull out completely. Um, all right. So Dash, I mean, just what? So they haven't really got a, a plan. They can't go out and do M and A necessarily. Um, other things they're doing with the business can only tweak it at the margins, as you were saying. So they've still got this massive debt load. They keep saying they're going to get it down to four times. EBITDA from what four and a half times or so now. The rating agencies think it should be more like two times to be safer. So, and this deal was meant to at least lop what a tenth or so off of off of their debt. So, what have what has um, ABM have said since this about what they'll do with their debt since now they have no quick and easy fix? Yeah, the, their line from the beginning, which um, you know is is convincing, was that they can definitely get down to below four times next year without doing this IPO and they can but as you pointed out it's not it's still really high for for a massive listed company um so i think right now looking at it, it looks like under current current forecasts they can get to below two times just in 2023 which you know like maybe is okay but it's it just really depends on how bad this this growth thing is, um, and I think maybe they should go buy a weed company. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, those are the two multiples that don't match right now. I think, but maybe for them, it's just hoping that Asia and and Africa really deliver, and you know, manage to to provide sort of a counterpoint to its biggest market, which is contracting. Maybe they need to make some kind of blockchain enabled weed based. <laughs> You can pay with Budweiser with a Bitcoin. The only other thing that I've heard kind of floated around was the idea that they could potentially um, move some of their brewing onshore into Asia, um, into China, elsewhere, because a lot of it is still done um, in other places. And that, you know, once they hit a a potential scale, um, they, you know, that could help margins as well. If, you know, if they get to a certain place, that's the only other sort of strategic thing Mm. that I've heard, um, you know, sort of bandied about. And, and what about cutting? They've already cut the dividend, right? Is that correct, yeah. Dasha? Okay. When so, did they do that? Um, uh, earlier. So no, late last year they they did that. Um, hmm. I guess they could totally get rid of it, but I just, I just don't think I. It's not like you'll still have the problem. It's such a massive debt mountain. I think they just kind of yeah. have to, you know, take a deep breath and just hope, you know, make sure that everything's as good as as shiny as it can be. But you. That there are a few things yeah. that will really make a huge difference, I think. Well, that yeah. Let's uh, but, yeah, just put this in perspective, though. I know the stock's down about seven percent in the past few days, but ABNBF's shares are still up what by almost a third this year. So, um, you know, even though they've cut the dividend, it, it looks as if investors are at least giving them some benefit that they weren't of the doubt they weren't giving them last year, despite all of this. Absolutely. I mean, what what's one? Someone explained it to me as look, they've. You know, they've already, um, if they're looking for better currency to do M&A, which I'm not sure they can do, um, then their stock going up is already already winning in that sense. I do wonder, though, if how much of the 
the uplift was based on the idea that they were going to pay down their debt right. and that mm -hmm. they were going to get this new currency to do more deals in yeah. Asia. Uh, obviously, the stock did not, you know, tank after the IPO was pulled, but I do wonder if it will slowly kind of um, come back down. Oh, if Jeff, they don't you're wanna... a glass half empty kind of guy. Here. Sobering. <laughs> Sorry. Sobering. My bud glass is definitely <laughs> <half> empty. <laughs> uh, we're really filling them out here, aren't we? Um, okay, last question to you then, Jeff. Um, what happens next with Hong Kong as the financial center or Hong Kong for IPOs? We've had a couple now pulled. We've got a couple, many of you coming up. I think you mentioned Alibaba once yeah. on the docket. What What's going to happen? Well, Alibaba think? will be um, definitely the interesting one, I think, because you know they're looking to do a secondary listing in Hong Kong. You'll remember that they did the biggest IPO of all time um, in 2014. They raised something like $25 billion here in New York. They came to New York because they couldn't, because of the nature of their business, um, and the rules on the Hong Kong exchange, they couldn't do it there. Um, now the rules have changed. They can actually do a secondary listing there. You know, again, we're, we're starting to see the same kind of phenomenon play out, though. Initially, when the stories came out, I think it was maybe six weeks ago, two months ago, they were going to raise $20 billion. Now we've seen a report that says it may be closer to $10 billion. Um, you know, in theory, a company like Alibaba, with the opportunity to get Chinese investors, mainland investors, through various connect schemes um, on the exchanges should be like a massive hit in a market like Hong Kong. It is a business that everyone knows there, has great retail appeal. It's a brand, obviously, that means a lot to everyone there. Um, so that, I think, will be, you know, we keep having these new benchmarks, certainly the Bud one at, you know, a $10 billion IPO, the bit was supposed to be the biggest one of the year, um, was one, but I think Alibaba will be the next real test. And, you know, it, including whether they decide to go ahead with it. Yeah. All right. Well, Dash and Jeff, thanks very much for that. Great to have you uh, back on the show, Jeff, and Dash, Dash to have you on for the first time. May we get you back often in the future? Yes, please. Thanks a lot. That's our show for this week. I'd like to thank our guests, Jeff and Dasha, for coming on the program. And hats off to our producers, Andrew D'Antonio and Freddie Joyner. Our final thanks go to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Check us out every day at breakingviews.com and do listen to our sister podcast, The Exchange. Don't forget to tune in next week for another edition.